Adventure. Now I'm putting my on W4CY Radio. Wake up, America! It's time for the adventures of Pipe Man on W4CY.com, West Palm Beach's number one internet radio station. Here's your host, the Pipe Man. Here on the Adventures of Pipe Man W4CY Radio, and I'm here with our next guest who is a killer musician with some killer new music, and man, their band is just amazing. So let's welcome to the show Field from Fencer. How are you? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And I gotta tell you something right off the bat. Okay, I I was watching a video of one of your newest songs, and it was the one where you were doing the live thing, and immediately, and this is a huge compliment, because I love him, and I love the band, and it's kind of ironic, because I think you guys have played with them, but uh, you gave me totally Josh from Bad Flower vibes. (laughs) Very funny. Right, so, I, and that's a big compliment because I love Bad Flower and I love Josh and it, it you know, it, it it's just kind of, just kind of your demeanor and your talent and stuff like that. People definitely have to check it out. And I'll tell you another reason I really like you because you remind me of one of my other friend rock and rollers who left the child acting business to go to rock and roll instead. And uh, I I love that because listen, it takes a lot. Even though as you know, which we can talk about if you want. Like sometimes how screwed up it can be to be a child actor. It takes a lot to go from something where you're already there to start over in something that's your passion. And I have mad respect for that. Thanks. Yeah, it happened really gradually, and I mean, definitely in retrospect, there is plenty of the. Uh, the child acting industry that was screwed up. But at the time it, it didn't particularly feel that way. I mean, it was all I knew and I never had any like directly bad experiences doing it um, for the, for the about, about the decade that I did it. If anything, going into the music industry, I've had significantly worse experiences um, because <laughs> it's also a horrible industry. But, right. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, it's uh, it was a pretty, I don't know, gradual transition because I just started to kind of phase out of acting a little bit. And around high school time frame, I, I just kind of lost interest and I wanted to do something else. So eventually I picked up music. But there was a gap in like of a few years in there where it was kind of out of the industry, out of any industry for a minute. And that was a, a nice kind of way to transition, I think. Yeah, I think it kind of goes both ways, too. It's like a nice way to transition and kind of healthy for your mental health, but also hard on your mental health, too, because you're so used to doing something for 10 years, and then all of a sudden you're doing nothing, and you have to start over, like, essentially. So it, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of a weird, you know, both sides of the fence thing. Definitely, definitely. And I brought that up because that's another thing that I'm really impressed by is that you are 
very big with mental health to the point that you're a coach. And as somebody who also is a speaker and a coach, I have mad respect for you doing it in the arena that you're doing because people need that health so much right help so much right now. And I don't know, sometimes coaching may be a better help to some people that are going through mental issues than therapy. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting too, because I've done lots of therapy for years and I still see a therapist and I'm, I'm super pro that I think it's great. And the way I kind of carry my, my life coaching is I feel like somewhat similar. There's just yeah. a few different aspects for you know, like the idea of life coaching that are cool and, and kind of in contrast to therapy of like really being able to talk about your own life and your own experiences and, you know, have somewhat of a relationship with the person outside of, you know, just the sessions, like yeah. being able to stay in contact and not have it feel so much like, I don't know, like a business relationship, which is cool. I work with a company called Positive Presence Global and they're, they're super dope, but yeah, mental health wise, I mean, I think that that stuff is so important and it's uh, been such a huge part of my life and it affected everything I do, especially these like last, you know, six years or so, so drastically with just kind of my own journey, figuring all of that out, learning how to kind of, you know, handle my brain and all that jazz. So I, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty prominent thing for me. So I, I generally like to put a lot of focus on it and talk about it and sing about it and scream about it and all that stupid stuff. Well, so. <laughs> and, and in my opinion, music is some of the best therapy, not only for you as the artist, but for me as the listener, you know? Definitely. I think if it weren't for music, mm, I might have gone down a bad road. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went down a bad road because of music, but wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. And, you know, it is cool. I, I like to say this as somebody who I am that, you know, that you being a coach, it, it actually, based on, you know, being a positive presence coach, you have some legitimacy and credentials behind you. And I say that because coach is such a loosely used term. I can't tell you how many people I know they lose their job. They have nowhere to go, and they come up with this idea to wake up in the morning and be a life coach, and that can be dangerous if <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing. Just like it'd be dangerous to give somebody therapy without knowing what you're doing. Right, and I think the the cool thing about life coaching is that there is that wiggle room for you know lack of like you know a psychology degree or something, yeah. right? But there is also a pretty in depth screening process of making sure you kind of have a good idea of what you would approach. And, and it doesn't need to be a thing of like, Oh, we need someone who has their life completely figured out so that they can tell this person, all right, this is why you're feeling this way. Do this and this. It's more so kind of like I've done the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of regular therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy and stuff like that. I know ways and a lot of techniques to like look at certain things. Yeah. I also have a lot of experience specifically related to mental health stuff that I can just kind of talk people through of, Hey, since I've prioritized learning so much about this, these are the things I went through and this is how I view them now and 
why this was affecting me this way and how to kind of be aware of emotions and all that jazz. So, Well, you know, you said something that hit home for me. And that is like sometimes people that have their life completely together may not necessarily be the best coach because the person they're coaching is looking at them like, wait a minute, they don't know what I'm experiencing. Yeah, I see it too, like Tony Robbins as an example. I started going to his seminars when I was like 11 years old. And, but I know a lot of people that look at him like, oh, look at him. He's successful. He's this, he's that. I could never do what he did. And because they're putting him up on this pedestal opposed to, you know, somebody that comes out and say, Hey, I lived through this. And they're like, Oh, wow. They know what I lived through. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I don't know. I think there's a difference between learning the facts about something and factually why the chemistry in your brain causes this thing and does this thing rather than just kind of the personal experience right. and the relatability to it. Um, I've had, uh, I, I have something called borderline personality disorder and I've, uh, been to multiple, uh, DBT classes, which is like the, one of the main therapies for that. And I've had, I don't know, and instructors or I guess the, the teacher or whatever of the class who, um, who has never experienced any actual borderline themselves and not necessarily that they have to, but it's a strange kind of dynamic of like, all right, so you don't, you can't actually relate to any of the feelings. You can talk about it, but you can't like actually relate to the experiences that we have been going through. Yeah. So it's it's just a weird thing. Totally. So let's talk about the music. How do you think these two areas of your life coincide with each other and, and, and kind of help each other out? Yeah, definitely. So I think it's it's been an outlet for me to kind of talk about a lot of these these emotions and experiences and things and just kind of funnel them into, I don't know, a great, a great way to express that, um, which is I think through songs and songwriting, I think it just kind of affects every aspect of my life so much that as I, you know, learned more about this and as I got more into songwriting and singing and all that stuff, they just kind of became one of the same really. So it's it's definitely a huge angle of of our our music and and the band and just kind of what I think about. And let's talk about the new album, which is due to drop very soon. Very, that's very, very exciting. Uh, Coming up, yeah, we're only a few weeks away, less than that, you know. And, and uh, from what I was seeing, that this is like, I think the work that you're probably most proud of am i am i correct yeah definitely i mean this is going to be our first like full length project that any of us have made in any project it, like any band or you know thing we've been a part of at this point we're almost to a point where it's like we just want to get it out and get on to the next thing because we're like <laughs> we've <laughs> we've been sitting here we've listened to it you know a thousand times we're ready for we're already working on what's next so we're excited for 
for the continuation, but also incredibly excited for people to finally be able to hear this this little this little album that we've been making for so many hours alone, just three of us at our studio. So people will finally believe us when we're like, oh, we're at the, we're at the studio again. <laughs> Wait, I haven't heard anything. Yeah, no, it's coming. It's been like two and a half years. It's coming, though. Something's coming. Right. So, well, It's coming. It's actually coming. <laughs> you know what's funny, too, is a lot of music that's been coming out, and tell me if this is true for you lately, was it started before the pandemic, but it's getting released after the pandemic and it's almost like prophetic. You know, I, I found like a lot of music, new music that was pre-print and that they wrote pre-pandemic. Like you f- would think if they didn't tell you that, that it was wrote written during the pandemic. It's kind of a trip. Yeah, definitely. I've noticed that too. And I think I've noticed that with um, some of our tracks on this new record. I mean, a lot of the stuff was definitely done during the, the pandemic. That's when we, started recording and that's when we put the most time into creating this album but there are a handful of tracks that started or were already kind of mostly written prior to that and if they totally sound like they weren't nice (laughs) so um it's kind of i don't know why that happens but it's a funny little thing you know it's a trip too because like Everybody talks about the negatives of the pandemic, but I look at the positive of the pandemic in the respect of, I think some of the best music we ever had is coming out of that pandemic because you as an artist, you know, and tell me if this was the case for you, I kind of believe that you had more time to be creative and more time to actually think and polish the music because usually as a music artist, you know, Nowadays, you're on this hamster wheel and, you you know, writing an album is like you're doing it in between gigs or whatever. And and you have to finish it by a deadline. And, you know, you don't really have the time to be totally creative. You know, it it stops at a certain point, whereas the pandemic allowed artists to sit back and really evaluate what they were putting out and even stuff they wrote before the pandemic they kind of changed it around or polished it during the pandemic because they got to actually evaluate it before sending it off. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was likely the case with, with probably the majority of artists. Um, For me, I think the pandemic was such a weird time and I kind of went into like a bit of this stasis of like reality, not, not moving forward and nothing happening. And it actually, again, I don't know if this is the case for a lot of people, but it actually drained me really hard creatively. Um, And outside of our scheduled times to go to our studio and work on recording and stuff like that, I was not creative, which we did do that quite a bit. Um, But it would be, you know, days and days in between um, going and seeing the guys and, and starting tracking and stuff like that. And I would just, I don't know, there was, there was a bit here and there, but I, part of me, I'm, I'm much better at songwriting and stuff and that kind of creativity when it happens naturally. Yeah. Um, which it wasn't as much. It's, it, it happens a lot more when I'm doing, going through my day to day and my routines and just kind of 
you know, going, going to the gym. Okay, bam, there's a catchy hook I just thought of. Let me record it as a voice memo or something. Or, you know, just random things that I would normally be doing in my, in my life. Um, you know, going, going to work at a, at a restaurant that I work at. Stuff like that. It's just, that's usually where things come up. And then I kind of go in and flesh it out on my own when I'm feeling already excited about that initial idea. And that excitement was just kind of, Uh, gone. I don't know. It was weird. It was a weird time. But in retrospect, it was super cool to now have even more of, I don't know, I guess like a a, appreciation, an appreciation (laughs) of of how that works and even more to pull from of all these feelings that came up during that time period of a lot of strange feelings definitely going on. So that's kind of where I come from, I think. Well, and I'm glad you kind of pointed all that out because now that makes sense to a lot of other artists that I interviewed that basically there were a lot of them out there that did nothing at all during the pandemic. And what yeah. you just explained explains why. You know, it, it was kind of like they were just – it wasn't like they did it on purpose. It was just, you know, it was a weird sitch. <laughs> It was hard. It almost made, I almost felt like I should have been doing it more. And that kind of additional pressure that I put on myself when there's no pressure being put on anyone to do anything like made me even more resistant to trying to do it. Yeah. Um, Cause I was like, Oh gosh, I have all this time. I should be working on this. And then I just would avoid it. So I don't know. I don't know, man, whatever album's done now. There, there you go. And so, Tell us a little bit about the album, like what it means to you, what what the name of the album means to you, what what the songs mean to you. It doesn't mean give me like a whole dissertation, but, you know, sure. Kind of the, the cliff yeah. note. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's it's our self-titled album, our debut album. Um, obviously everyone does the self-titled album, right? But the reason we really wanted to do that, especially for this one, is just because this record is just completely done by the three of us. And I imagine likely that will not be the case for another release of ours moving forward, like a full length, just because of the fact that, you know, people end up getting involved. You have other, other engineers and producers and things like that. And you go to a studio and stuff like that. This was just us. We spent the entire amount of time in our own studio that we call Fencer HQ. And it was just me, Cameron and Scott. And we sat down, we wrote the entire record together. We tracked every single instrument. Uh, Cameron engineered the entire thing, all produced by the three of us all performed by us we had our hands in basically every decision mixing wise and it's really the album we wanted to introduce ourselves with nice um especially while we're independent just kind of like really have control over this first release in our discography so that's why it's self-titled and i mean it's just kind of a culmination of of songs that were around this time there's a lot of material in here that we really, really like and are super fond of. And um, I think we're all really proud of this this record. And I don't know. It just it's it's not like a, it's not like a coherent story or anything. I mean, it's no, it sounds pretty coherent. I just it's they're all just a collection of songs that were around at the time of us 
doing this and all kind of we felt represented the band in, in its current form and how we wanted to present it to people. That's way cool. And, and uh, I can hear the passion. And more importantly, a, a very big question I have for you is, why is it always the trios that have like the most, I don't know, most music to it? Like it always seems <laughs> to me like trios create music that sounds like there's nine people playing like in Slipknot, you know, there's nine people in Slipknot. Why you need nine. (laughs) I'm going to give you probably an unpopular answer, but I think this is the reason is because I think the, a trio is a really, really great combination of kind of, of, of bill, like lots you can do, but also a lot of kind of, um, lack of ability to do things i mean the classic kind of lineup is the two guitars bass and drums right and that there are incredible examples of that and i would never knock that i don't love two guitars in a band personally i think it's cooler when you have less you can do and really just kind of one role or one instrument filling out each role and so since it's just the three of us and i mean you know I, I don't know what the the future will hold as far as uh you know more production on our tracks and stuff, but for this album it's really raw, and so we really try and keep the instrumentation to just bass, drums, guitar, and vocals in almost all of the songs. And I think that when when we are songwriting and trying to kind of write poppy, aggressive rock songs, we really have to go through and, and think about what we're doing with each instrument individually, because yeah. there's only so much space we can fill up with just the three of us, uh, especially when I'm not some crazy like solo-esque guitar player, and <laughs> a lot of my guitar uh, stuff is a lot more rhythmic. So there's only so much we can we can do. We can't use like solos and, and stuff as a part of song structure. So I think that's why at least... I don't know. I think there's a lot more room for creativity. You know what I've found too? I don't know. It seems like usually it's the trios that are 20 years later, still the original band. Yeah. Huh? Weird, right? I think it has to do with there's with three people. There's a lot less ego and a lot less arguing and a lot less conflicts. Right. You know, like I think about like, like I was saying, a band like Slipknot has nine people. How are you getting nine people to agree on shit? <laughs> That's what I want to know. <laughs> you know, it's true. It's true. And you know what? The, the, the fact is that they're probably not it's probably right. one, one guy who really makes the decisions and everyone right. else is in the band. Yeah, exactly. And I think with trios, it tends to be more like a band where like, that's a good point you brought up because in a lot of bands, even that are foursomes, there's usually like one or two people. Like you take Kiss. Really, it, yeah. it's Gene and Paul, they make the decisions, period. You know? Right. And, and I think that caused a lot of conflict, you know? And, you know, there's so many bands you could mention that there's like one person that's in charge. And, and you know, that kind of causes a lot of conflict. Whereas I think in a trio, it's like you're almost like a family. Definitely. And I think that's from from day one. That's something that I've been really advocating for with the three of us is for it to not be be that and have it really 
be a band. Um, that's why we all share writing credits, uh, despite who brings what to the table. That's nice. why we're sharing all the production credits. It's everything. It's, it's the three of us. And we want to push it as that. I mean, especially being around so many bands and as we've kind of saturated ourselves in the industry these last many years, it's just, that's true with 99% of artists is that yeah. there's either one to two people who are, are the band, right? Yeah. And that not always the case, but I would say in the vast majority of situations we've been exposed to, that is the case. Totally. And it's just kind of our unique approach to not wanting it to be that. And I think that keeps the three of us as a trio really strong. Okay. So now here's the most important question as an old school gamer. What's your favorite video game? Ooh. Um, old school, like, so like, a no, like I'm old, old I'm an game. old, no, I'm an old oh, school okay. gamer. <laughs> so I'm asking you what your favorite video game is. Well, it depends how old school you are. I could throw some out, but I, I don't know. I would I've had every all... gaming system ever made. Like I bought oh, the Atari okay. wow, 2600 okay. with my allowance cool. when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, I usually throw out that my favorite game is shadow of the Colossus. On the PS2 from 2005 from uh, Team Eco. Nice. But love that one. I think it's a classic. But I play everything. So, I mean, every genre, every time frame, I've I've definitely have a, have a good amount of experience with the, the majority of the gaming catalog in life. So, See, um, I love I hearing know. that because there's so many people I know nowadays are gamers and it's like they... Either they just play Call of Duty or they just play Halo or they just. And I'm like, yeah, I've played pretty much every game there is. And are there my go to's <laughs> now? Yes, there's my go to's, but I'll still play anything. I don't care. The thing that trips me out most. OK, so I'm 56. I have I have eight grandchildren and my grandkids wow, are, okay. are into Minecraft. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like. It's so funny because with my kids, I would show them the old school games I was into that looked just like Minecraft and they'd be like, dad, what the hell is this shit? You know, like, and I look at my grandkid playing Minecraft. I'm like, that's freaking like eight bit type of stuff that I was playing when I was a kid. I can't believe the kids are into it, you know, and it's so funny, but it just goes to show it. It it kind of stands the test of time. And a lot of that stuff is timeless. I mean, I think we've seen, especially with like old old school styled like side scrollers and stuff like that, come back like retro themed old school games like have a total resurgence um, in modern gaming. And of course, Minecraft is huge, I, which just goes to show I don't think graphics or anything like that matter. It's just like yeah. gameplay is yeah. what it is, right? Totally. It's, at the end of the day, gameplay is king. Totally. So it just the the way it's presented. Minecraft, really, really fun, unique game. I get why it is as big as it is, and there was obviously a lot of luck around it and stuff like that. But you know, I it, I get it. It's cool. Yeah, I get why kids like it. So here's a funny thing. You know, currently I'm in Amsterdam right now, and yes, I brought. Eh, it's not where I live, but it's where I'm at right now. And I brought two of my daughters and one of their boyfriends out here and we went to this museum it's called the moco museum it's over by the van gogh and we're walking in there here's what was there's two things that were interesting first of all it was interesting how many nft uh, there was like a whole nft area in 
in the museum, which I thought was cool. But, you know, there was one piece of art that the minute I walked in the room, I looked at it, didn't see the sign or anything. I just looked at it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's Space Invaders. It was like one of the the Space Invaders. Yeah. So, so, So I wanted to test my daughter's boyfriend because he's a gamer and mm-hmm. so i brought him in the room i'm like don't look at the sign stand back here what is that piece of art right there and it took him a few but he did guess it but i didn't think he was gonna guess it but he did guess it it <laughs> took him a few but i was like that is so wild to me like talk about standing the test of time that's like virtually the second video game ever made next to pong and yet yeah. I recognized it immediately because, listen, I played it 10 million times, but the fact that my daughter's boyfriend at 26 years old recognized it too, that says it all right there. Yeah, I mean, all these icons, Pac-Man, Mario is still the biggest thing in all of gaming, and that was like such a, you know, that was what, the early 80s. Um, all sorts of stuff is just such a you know if you get it if you get get it right it sticks around and some of those games like tetris tetris is one of the greatest games it's just so simple but it's still everyone plays tetris the best-selling game franchise of all time and so you know what's funny about that is before computers were a big thing word processors were a big thing and i had a word processor for my business and it had tetris on it (laughs) (laughs) that's great right it can be run on everything too it's so simple that you can play it on a a fucking calculator totally so So let's tell everybody how they connect to you guys on socials how they get the new album how they check out everything about you guys and most importantly how they can buy merch because that's the only way artists survive nowadays That is true. Yeah, so we're going to be at Fencer Band on basically all platforms. Um, not basically, all of them. We have it on all of them. So it's at Fencer Band. Just pick out your favorite social platform and go find us. The album's coming out February 3rd. We have a handful of singles out for it right now. You can check them out on Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you use should be there yeah check out our youtube we got videos if you are happen to be in la los angeles california come check out a show though we will not be there for too much longer we will be playing all over the place nice and yeah merch wise we actually have a bunch of new merch coming very soon so just keep keep posted uh or yeah just stay posted on that we will uh be vocal about some things very soon so love it Love your music. Everybody's got to definitely check it out or they can't listen to my show anymore. And, uh, <laughs> you know, thanks for all you do. Uh, not just the music, but helping people through your coaching. And, you know, you're helping people through music, through coaching. And then I also want the one thing I didn't mention that I'm thinking of right now before we end, too, is I think it is so cool that you see music in colors. And yeah. That's wild to me because, like, I can see this interviewing colors, but that's only because I'm looking at the recording software. <laughs> but it's only because I took a bunch of acid before this interview. Yeah, yeah right. I, I was down and I, I was down at the coffee shop, and I took some truffles before the interview. <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, when did you notice that happening to you? Yeah, well, it's it it wasn't originally music exactly. It's always been. I remember. I didn't even know it was a weird thing, but like since I was in like kindergarten, letters and words I always associated with a color, and I guess there's a thing for that, right? But I, to me, it wasn't the thing. I just kind of always would think of, oh, that word is this color, or this letter is that color, or whatever. And so as I kind of continued to just do that with everything throughout my life. When we were uh, starting this project, uh, Cameron, the drummer, he and I wanted to kind of focus on some kind of color scheme. And we were trying to figure out what, and the first like handful of what were going, what uh, became Fencer songs, uh, they were all blue to me. Hmm. So I don't know why. I don't know why they were, they were. And so since then, we've just made it so over the top and, and gotten so silly about it where we only will write blue songs. If something isn't feeling blue, we'll just kind of shelf it. And everything is with blue lighting for us. Our studio is completely saturated. Basically, everything I own at this point is blue. All of my clothing, all of my everything. I mean, I just... um. I just bought a uh, a blue switch light to replace my gray switch light so that I could have be on <laughs> brand. Um, it's gotten completely over the top and silly, but uh, I think it has started to really transcend just being an aesthetic type thing and really affect us creatively. Uh, and I don't entirely know how to explain what it does, but it does something for sure. <laughs> so whatever it's doing it's doing it and we're down so. you know what's so interesting about that there's two things that are interesting about that first of all the fact that you're i think it's relative to your positive coaching because blue is considered a positive color even though everybody talks about blue being sad theoretically blue creates positive emotions like even in prisons they've done sure. studies where they've painted cells blue and it made the prisoners less violent and more positive, you know? And here's the second thing. And this one's going to make you laugh. I have blue hair, so I'm down with the blue. When, <laughs> when I when I was Very cool. when I was looking at your graphics, I'm like, oh, man, I love that. You know, it's, it's funny. My brother said something to me recently, and it's true. He goes, I noticed that you always match your hair. Like, I have sunglasses that match my hair. They're blue. And <laughs> I, I'll wear clothes to match it and stuff like that, you know? So, I'm with you 100%. That's very funny. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting with that. The, the other thing we realized a couple of years ago is that um, all three of us, we're, uh, our, we're the three different water signs. I'm a Cancer, Cameron's a Scorpio, and Scott's a Pisces. And, of course, water signs are heavily associated with uh, the color blue well, so it's go. just kind of this weird meant to be thing but um yeah i love it i love it and i love your music and i know everybody else will too and uh my listeners will not even know that they definitely need to check your stuff out because i don't usually do interviews this long so that should tell them something <laughs> <laughs> sorry for talking so uh, much <laughs> no don't be sorry i would have cut you off if it wasn't good trust me you know that i i can that's a compliment that that we're still talking like this because you know you have a lot to say and it was just a great conversation you got great music and uh thanks for being on the adventures of pipe man thank you for having me man really appreciate it 
Thank you for listening to the Adventures of Pipe Man on W4CY Radio.